Hi, welcome to this episode of the Blue Collar Musician. Today we're going to be talking about how to host your own open mic jam. Okay, first off, what is an open mic jam? Well, I define an open mic jam as any place where musicians get together in a, in a public spot and uh, just jam, do some improvisation, play songs they know, uh, just get up in front of an audience. It can be a great opportunity for a showcase for up-and-coming bands or songwriters. Could be just a spot for people to go and blow off some steam and have some fun playing their music. So I think these are great things. And a lot of people might ask, okay, well, why would you run one of these? And uh, it's a great networking opportunity. And it's a, it's a cool gig. I mean, you do as a host get paid to do these gigs. So it's a paid gig that leads to more paid gigs. What could be better than that? With all that being said, though, it is not an easy thing to do. And I'm trying to make your job a little easier uh, by teaching you the tricks that I've learned here in this video today. It's so easy to make a lot of mistakes and make these things really, really bad. So we want to try to avoid that. Uh, but let's start with who should try to run Open Mic Jam. If you are just starting out in the music community and uh, you're not well known yet in your community, you probably do not want to start this. You want to be the guy going to these and that's how you'll get known more. Uh, if you want to find out more about that, you can watch my video, Your First 100 Days as a Professional Musician. I get in all that kind of stuff. But to run one of these, you should be really tied in with the community. You should already know a lot of musicians. You should have a lot of musicians involved in your social media. Uh, so on your Facebook and Twitter, you should have a lot of musicians following you and, and being friends with you. And uh, you should just generally know who the players are and know their ability level. And you can pretty much take it from there. So one of the first keys to success is going to be finding the right venue. So I always preferred venues that were either all ages or at least they were all ages up to a certain time. So I used to do a lot of restaurant and bars where all ages could be in there up until 11 o'clock. And a lot of times we would start at 8 o'clock. So that gives three good hours for, uh, for young people to be able to come in. In a lot of ways, that can be your bread and butter is the younger players because they can't go out and play in the bars yet. They can't go out and uh, do a lot of the regular gigs that a lot of us would do. So this is a great opportunity for them. And a lot of younger people, uh, teenagers in particular, will come out with their parents. They'll come out with their friends or family. This is really great for a venue because then all those people are going and they're going to eat food and they're going to drink and carry on. And uh, it's going to bring in a lot of revenue. I'm not saying that teenagers and people like that should be the focus of your open mic jam. But if you miss that element of it, you're going to have a lot smaller likelihood of success. My most successful jams I ran, some ran for uh, five or six years, and I left them when I left California, and they still ran for more years after that. Uh, the ones that had that longevity were the ones that were able to be all ages. So we were able to get a whole cross-section of people. So we would have 70-year-old veteran musicians up there jamming with uh, 14, 15-year-old kids who were just cutting their teeth. And uh, that's a really cool thing. We're going to talk more about how to make that work as this video goes on. Okay, another really important thing when getting started with this is you need to build a really strong house band. So it doesn't really matter how big the house band is. Usually we just did three-piece guitar, bass, and drums. But it's important that they're really strong players, that they're really patient players, because they're going to have to deal with a lot of subpar musicians. That's the reality of it. And they're going to have to be able to follow along and, and lead when needed with some of those musicians. But I find it important to hire guys that can read charts. It doesn't have to be uh, reading score or really elaborate things, but at least read some chord charts and be able to follow along. Uh, I think that's tremendous to have that. So it's really important to have guys with good attitudes, 
which it always is if you watch my videos. That's one thing we always hit on is working with guys with good attitudes. But they should be patient, have good attitudes, be really strong players, and uh, be willing to lead. So along with that, what you also have to remember is that anybody who's in the house band, they have to show up ready and willing to let people use their gear. I always try to provide full back line uh, for the jams I would run. And that includes even if someone wants to play my guitar or someone wants to play my bass. Now, there's different ways around this. You don't want to bring out your really expensive stuff to have other people play it because then if they break it, obviously that's a, a huge problem. But there's two ways around this. Either you bring your affordable gear, and I have a whole video on that too. You can, you can look up some of my favorite affordable gear. But you bring out that or you could bring out your nice gear but for you to play. And then if someone wants to come up and play, then you can have your other less expensive instruments for them to play, but then you're bringing a lot of gear. I mean, for me, I usually would just bring a lot of my low-end gear uh, or mid-level gear. I mean, I don't really play low-end gear, but bring the mid-level gear to this stuff because everybody, expect everybody to play it. And that's one thing that you really want to provide, and I can't stress that enough, is to provide backline for people. There's a lot of guys going to come in with their all their gear, and they're going to want to use their own amp and their own pedals and their own guitars. That can be fine. Uh, in other cases where the stage is smaller and more confined, I would really discourage that from people bringing that in. Also, it just takes more time for them to set it up, but make that available to people. So remember your guitars, your basses, amps, drums, drumsticks, everything you can imagine. Be ready to have everybody share that. Okay, so you have your house band in place, you have your venue, you have your date and everything worked out, and uh, from there... How do you advertise it? Well, the best form of advertising I found was word of mouth. But now word of mouth means something different now than it used to. By word of mouth, I mean really work specifically your social networking. Use Facebook and Twitter. Let people know that you have a jam. And we'll talk about how to promote gigs in another video. But in general, with any gig, I don't like to over-promote. I don't want to be in everybody's face posting seven things a day about the same exact event, that is completely ineffective. Completely, believe me. So the most effective way you can do it is maybe let people know, announce that you have that jam coming on the day that you book it. Let people know that it's coming that day. Then once it's an ongoing thing, just post the day of or maybe the day before and remind people. You can create an event page for each week if you want on, on Facebook. I didn't really do that as a rule, um, but I know some people have had success doing that. I just put it out there and let everyone on my friends list see it, and that is extremely effective. Then also, maybe to some certain jammers, if there's some jammers I really want to be there so I can kind of stack the deck, so to speak, like if I want to make sure there's a lot of strong guys there, then I'll maybe send a text or make a phone call to specifically strong guys, ask them if they'll come out to the jams. From there, you can move on to things like uh, putting up a, an ad on Craigslist in the musician section, just letting people know there's a jam that day at that venue. You could also put up things uh, like physical printouts and stuff on bulletin boards at, at Guitar Center, all the, all the local guitar shops, whoever you have where, where you're at. Put it up on the bulletin boards there. I think all of them pretty much have bulletin boards. Uh, maybe even college campuses and different places like that. And really, that should be enough. If you're in, in an area that's good for open mic jams with a lot of musicians and you are already plugged in, that'll be enough to get the ball rolling because from there, war, more word of mouth will uh, we'll just start rolling. Now, I say that's good enough on your end. It's really important, though, that you talk to the venue. The venue should have something on site, maybe whether it's a poster or uh, a little pop-up thing that they, they put on the tables, but they should be announcing and letting people know that there's an open mic jam there, too. They should 
they don't get to just open their doors, you know. They need to let people know so that if there's musicians maybe you don't know, because really everybody is a musician. I mean, the percentage of people who play instruments is insane, but there, maybe there's a lot of guys who are not actively out playing music, but they go to dinner at this restaurant and they see a sign for an open mic jam and they think, oh, well, maybe I'll bring my guitar out. I haven't played in 20 years. I'll bring my guitar out and have some fun. So it's important that they do that. It's also really important that they put it on their website, their.com. So often I see uh, jams where the venue isn't advertising it on their .com, and that's just stupid. That's just stupid. You're missing out on a, on a whole block of people. So make sure they do that. Make sure they promote it on their Facebook pages, their Twitters, Instagram, whatever. You know what I'm talking about, social media. Make sure for, for their social media that they're advertising it as well. Again, because they might hit a lot of people that you don't know about because there's a lot of guys who are um, not even weekend players, just guys who have a guitar in their house, but maybe they'd want to go out once a month now and, and, and play with some people. So it's really important that you have the venue's cooperation and that they handle their end of it also. So once the day comes, it's time for the actual open mic jam. The most important thing by far is organization. You have to be extremely organized and you have to let your expectations be known up front, and you have to uh, let people know what they can expect up front. So oftentimes when we would start an open mic jam, we would usually open with a house set. So the house band, we would play uh, three or four songs just to get the ball rolling, help us dial in the sound, establish volume, you know, letting people know, okay, these are your acceptable limits of volume, uh, things like that. But we would always make announcements during that house set, and during that time we would encourage people to sign up on the list, which we'll get to in a minute, and explain to them how they were going to be called up, what they were going to do. So a lot of times we always have people do three songs, but sometimes that gets a little out of hand if people do really extended jams. So we would say three songs for about 15 minutes, you know, something like that. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't to, to rein people in. But uh, let people know what you expect. Let them know that you have gear available. They don't need to bring any gear, uh, but certainly they can use some gear if they have it. Um, you know, lay your rules out. I mean, it's we don't like to think about rules as musicians. I guess think of them as guidelines, but just let people know what you need them to do in order for this to be a success, and then uh, let the ball roll from there. So the key and the cornerstone to organization is going to be your list. The list is king. So make sure you have a sign-up sheet. And uh, what I would always do is I would just have a, a simple sheet, and I would say put your name down and put your instrument down, and what kind of thing you want to do, basically. So some people would be maybe a solo acoustic act. They'd write down acoustic guitar solo. Other people just wanted to jam. So they'd put down, you know, Bob, bass, you know, something like that. So then you can kind of start to organize the way you want things to go. Now, what I think is so important, and I see people, I'm calling it a mistake. I'm going to go, go out and call it a mistake, even though I guess this is really my opinion. I see people make the mistake all the time of having people sign up on a list and not calling them in order. I cannot stress this enough. It is extremely important that you use that list and you call people in order. Now, again, this can be in order by instrument because if, if five drummers come in a row but there's only two guitar players, that second guitar player will get up before that third drummer. But I think everyone understands that. That makes sense. But call people in order. I see people play favorites, uh, call people up early, put in special favors, do this, that, and the other. And then maybe there's an occasion for that, but a, a special occasion with a really good reason. But that's the biggest thing that will kill your jam. 
I can't tell you how many times I've gone to other jams. Like when I first came to, to Las Vegas and nobody knew me, I would get on a list and I would be the third or fourth person signed up. And I would sit there for four hours while they called up all their friends and everybody else. And they would put me on the very end of the night after everybody had left, probably waiting, hoping I would leave because they didn't know me. Uh, this is just a, a tragic mistake because I, I never went back to those jams. And uh, I know so many other people. Now, a lot of people came to my jams and they got there at the starting time, but there had already been 20 people waiting and they were 21st on the list. They'd get really mad they had to wait three or four hours. But at least in that situation, that three or four hour wait was justified. They were the 21st person there. So there is a certain level of understanding with that as well. And along with that, a mistake that I made for years and I will never make again is uh, do not allow people to call ahead, text ahead, put in a reservation. You know, you sign up when you get there and, and that's that. If you want to get up there early, you get there early to sign up. Um, it's a, such a slippery slope and you, you end up going down a bad road when you allow people to do that. So uh, you don't want to give people the impression that you're playing any kind of favorites. Everybody who comes through that door is going to get fair treatment, whether they are the greatest musician in the world or it's their first time playing live. They need to be treated exactly the same in order for your jam to be successful. So obviously... One exception I'm going to put out there is uh, when you do have a situation where it's an all-ages venue up to a certain time, I would let people know in those opening rules in your in your opening statement that uh, you will move some of the younger people up if needed in order to get them in before the time they have to be out because then that's a matter of like legality and a matter of um, the venue's rules and things like that. So... Uh, that is the one exception I would say to that, but let people know up front that you're going to make that exception. So once the ball is rolling, the jam has started, there's a lot of things that you have to do to make sure that it flows really well. One thing you're going to have to do is to be a strong MC or to have someone in the house band be a strong MC because you're going to have to make a lot of announcements and uh, you're going to have to get people's names right and you're going to have to say things clearly on the microphone. Sometimes you're going to have to buy time. You have to have a little bit of improvisational skills. And I'm not saying you have to tell jokes or whatnot, but you have to be able to, to buy a little time here and there while people are switching over uh, instruments and whatnot. Another thing I think is important for between uh, sets, like those switchovers, is to play a little, little bit of house music. You know, have something just playing in the background so it's not just silence. That's uh, really helpful to keep the momentum going. If you find you're having a problem getting people switched over fast enough, and it's probably because people are bringing their own gear, make a rule where people can't bring their own amps and stuff like that anymore uh, if it's taking too long. But just try to keep that switch over. I mean, I tried to keep it like two or three minutes. When guys would go over three minutes, like one song basically on the of the house music, I'd get really upset. <laughs> no, I didn't yell at anybody. It just in, inside, I'd get really upset and frustrated because... Um, that's time that people could be playing music. So you want to really encourage people, help people, start schlepping gear around the stage if it's going to help someone get set up quickly enough. And let people know up front that you expect them to only take two or three minutes to get set up. If you have to, give people a heads up when they're maybe uh, the next act or the act after the next act so they can start tuning up their instruments and, and getting ready to play. That's a really important thing in keeping momentum going. So obviously one of the biggest obstacles is dealing with things like uh, brand new players who don't have a lot of experience, dealing with people who are just not very good, dealing with people who are, I would say, musically not compatible together. This is why it's so important to have your house band 
in place. That way you can pick up those pieces. If there's a player who's not a very strong player, don't put them up with any other jammers. Put them up with the entire house band behind it because that's going to make them sound best. Uh, you don't want to throw up uh, two jammers together who are who are not really very compatible. So if one guy wants to just play blues and uh, this other guy wants to not play blues at all, but they happen to be the next two up, don't take them both up at the same time. Leave up members of the house band to fill it out. Sometimes you can get away with building an entire band from just the people on the list, and it all works perfectly. But that's going to come down to your familiarity with all the players, which is why I say it's important to know a lot of people coming in, and your ability to evaluate players. So after you've seen somebody one time, when they come back the next time, you should know what the best avenue is for them. So mix and match house band members as needed. That's why they're there. That's why you get the best. In my opinion, you should have the best in your area uh, on the gig. That way you can keep the entertainment factor there. You keep the musicianship level high because if, if you have three really strong players, they can go a long way to prop up somebody who has no idea what they're doing. And the people that have no idea what they're doing, we don't want to discourage them from coming. We want to teach them how to get better. And by teaching them, I mean just by playing with them correctly and helping to lead them and guide them through the songs and the changes and things like that, that's a learning experience for them. So maybe after a year, now that's a really strong player. I had a lot of people like that when they came in. I They weren't great players, but I knew if they had enough experience, they could get there. And eventually it happened. So keep that in mind. You have to be able to evaluate talent and be able to mix and match and make the right, right combinations while still following the integrity of the list as far as uh, calling up people in the right order. So with all that being said and done, you should have a successful jam. Uh, it doesn't always work. You know, sometimes you plug in the right formula in the wrong venue and it doesn't work, or maybe it's the right venue and the right formula but the wrong night of the week. There's a lot of X factors that come into a jam being successful. But do the best you can with it. If you follow these rules, it's going to get you down the right path. And really importantly, remember that this is a networking opportunity for you. I've gotten a lot of gigs from people that came to my uh, open mic jams and were looking for players. I've been able to pick up a lot of work from that. So remember to always have your cards. Always remember to be plugging you and your house band, your own band, and let people know all the players are available for gigs. Because you're going to have a lot of time on the mic between acts. Don't make every single one a commercial, but you have plenty of time to, to mention these things to people and to help build your business. So I hope all of those things have uh, enlightened you in a lot of ways, and I hope you all can go out and start your own successful open mic jams. If you have any questions or anything that I didn't touch on here, uh, you go ahead and reach out to me. You can put it in the comment section or, or send me a message. I always love to hear from people. And as always, make sure you hit subscribe on this channel so you can get all these videos when they come out. Again, my name is Brett Cohen, and you can find me at brettcohenmusic.com. All the social media is at brettcohenmusic. Hope you guys have a great day. Take care. Thank you.